it's really easy to just live your life relative to other people. And that's usually when I notice that my happiness is taking a dive or my satisfaction is taking a dive as a result because it has to be something that comes internally, but it's sneaky comparison. Hillary Coles launched Hims and Hers following a personal struggle with the healthcare system and through her work has helped destigmatize physical and mental health issues. You're about to hear how Hillary, who describes herself as risk averse, built two brands from the ground up and continues to make the experience of booking a doctor's visit as accessible as possible across the country as telemedicine becomes the new norm. Coming up, You'll hear how Hillary's personal experience in healthcare impacted her decision to launch Hymns and Hers. The magical experience of launching Hymns quickly followed by one of their biggest challenges. Hillary shares her biggest piece of advice when it comes to making important decisions. How Hymns and Hers have pivoted over the past year to better meet the needs of their customers. Hillary shares exclusive insights into an upcoming hair care collaboration. And finally, Hillary tells us how she is staying grounded this year. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Hillary, we are so excited to sit down with you this afternoon and hear more about your incredible entrepreneurista story and journey. I'd love to hear from you first a little bit about your background prior to starting your business. Thank you guys so much for having me. I feel incredibly fortunate to be in this storied group of women that you guys have been working with for the past decade. Yeah. So about me, I'm Canadian. I was raised by a single mom and she worked an incredible amount of jobs to provide for me and my two sisters. And that meant that I was often caretaking for my two sisters. And, you know, as many working moms can attest, there's so many things you have to do. You know, there's like the bake sales and helping with the calculus homework and all of that stuff. But there's also going to the doctor's appointments, picking up prescriptions. And I was so fortunate in Canada to never question getting an appointment same day, to never question if I could afford it, never having to get my mom's credit card, never, you know, going to the pharmacy and always being able to get the medication that me or my sisters needed. Like that was quintessential to making our life work. And when I came to the U.S. for business school, it was my first time coming up against a wall where I couldn't get what I needed. I remember like marching up to the campus pharmacy and asking for birth control. And they were like, ma'am, it does not work like that here. You need to go back, (laughs) double back five steps and try again. And that really stuck with me. And that feeling of being denied, I think we can all relate to. And that's when it stings. And when I met Andrew, after I graduated from business school, we kept coming back to this concept that so much of our life is the way we choose it. You know, it's like the, it's the era of the consumer. We get to choose from hundreds of options, what we want for lunch. We get to choose pre-pandemic, how we're going to get from point A to point B. We can order anything online. But when it came to healthcare, you still, the more I talk to people, we all felt like children still, right? Like you never really understood how it worked. 
You were never given options. You never knew how much it was going to cost. If you needed to talk to a doctor, good luck 24 days later. And you probably didn't want to talk about that thing anymore. So it just, none of it worked. And we kept asking kind of why, why shouldn't it be like everything else in our lives? And I think my experience from growing up feeling very empowered in Canada really kind of led to where we are today. How did you meet him? So I was actually introduced to Andrew by a a friend in business school and Andrew was hiring for a product manager. I thought I was coming in for a product marketing manager position. And we figured that out maybe like 20 minutes into the meeting that like we were not speaking the same language whatsoever. (laughs) But Andrew was a partner at a venture fund slash incubator, you know, actually was looking for opportunistically for marketing support. And we just hit it off. We just kept talking about, you know, values, brand values that we cared about, brands that we admired, uh, you know, how what consumer values we really, really cared about. And there was just so much overlap and we kept talking about it. And so from that point onward, we started working together and I worked for him with one of the portfolio companies he was working on. And then when this opportunity came about, we were just like obsessed. And, you know, the first iteration of it was talking about men's erectile dysfunction and men's balding, which is like not a hot topic. Like it's a great way to end a conversation at a cocktail party, (laughs) but we just like could not stop the bigger picture we were just like obsessed with, like you couldn't stop thinking about, I mean, how do you get people to feel really good about themselves? Like there are all these people out there in the world who think about this all the time. It affects their choices. It affects their outcomes for their life. Like we could actually help them. And then it was like, the more we interned, it's like, if you've ever had problems in the foundation of your house or like one of your kids has ever had lice, it's like, oh shoot, this is so much worse than we thought. And that's how we felt with the healthcare system. It's like, we went from building this men's hair brand to essentially disrupting the entire healthcare industry because the more stones you unturned, the more you realized this was an incredibly systemic problem. It was seriously broken. And frankly, nobody was working on it. We always assumed there were adults in the room who were had already asked the important questions, who were really passionate and motivated to make a better world for consumers. And the more times we asked why, the more we dug into it, no one was, was looking at it. And so we were like, well, I guess it's us. <laughs> when you went to business school, did you know that you wanted to start your own company at that point? Absolutely not. If I had been able to get a job as a consultant or an eye banker, I would have in a heartbeat. I do not like risk. I do not like uncertainty. I didn't even take one entrepreneurship class in business school. It was not remotely on my radar. And were you working before business school or you went from undergrad straight to business school? Yeah, I was actually working in the nonprofit space in Canada. And so I was working on building a brand essentially to support Canadian military families. And the kind of underlying insight there was that the war in Afghanistan had been the longest war to date the world had seen, and it was changing people generationally. And in Canada already, there's, it's not a comfortable, not comfortable or normal to be super patriotic. And so we're trying to find out like, how can we get people to feel proud and take care of their own without this being a political statement in any way. And so through my work there, we actually took injured soldiers, whether physically or mentally injured on expeditions. And so we went to the North Pole, we climbed the sister mountain to Everest and Himalayas. And seeing these soldiers interact with these 
and we brought CEOs there. And so it was kind of this like mentorship program. And what was incredible is seeing how much self-belief, how much taking care of yourself changes the way you think about your future. It changes everything about yourself. And so I think seeing these, especially male-dominated worlds, military and commerce, I guess for lack of a better word, have these impacts. I was like, there are some bigger problems here. There are some more interesting, needy things here that I think I can help solve. And so that was really my impetus to go to business school. How did you learn to get comfortable taking risks or dealing with ambiguous situations? (laughs) You know, I think growing up and having so much responsibility at such a young age, knowing that my mom was counting on me and she was doing everything she could to take care of us, it just meant that I couldn't fail. And so I think in my life, as I think about whether, you know, it's getting a job to stay here so I don't get deported, it's, you know, getting my sister's to the doctor's appointment so that they feel better, like whatever it is, I just never had the opportunity to fail. So I never really saw it as taking a risk. It was just like, well, we're doing this and there's no other option. And I think that very much was how I felt about hims and hers too. It's like kind of what we were talking about just before we started recording, like, how do you find a gummy manufacturer to make supplements? Like you just, you, there's no other option. You have to find a way in. Yeah. <laughs> How long did it take to actually launch the company? So we've been working on the company for about a year and a half before we launched in fall 2017. And we had proven product market fit. So we had done a test MVP of the product itself and found, you know, are there people who are willing to pay for a subscription product in this stigmatized area of hair loss? That was our very first test. And, and there were, and we were able to prove that. And so that meant when we could then redouble our efforts into building a brand, into building a system that was better than anything that existed in the market today, we knew that we had people on the other side who were ready and willing. For our listeners who are thinking about taking the leap and starting their business and trying to figure out if there really is a place in the world for their business, can you talk a little bit about how you did that product market test and how did you know it was definitely a success and you should move forward? Yeah. Digital marketing, social media marketing is so important to any business today. And the good thing about that is the barriers to enter are really, really low. And what I mean by that is, you know, the three of us could start a face mask company in our kitchens this weekend and start to advertise next week. Advertising today has become very democratic and easy in that way. And so what we did was we took the most base idea. If today Hims and Hers is a telemedicine company that helps connect you to doctors for a range of products, we distilled that into what is a condition that we can treat without medication today that gets at our core demographic and allows us to test our economics behind the business. So in this case, a subscription, multiple SKU package. And so we went out there with, at the time was a minoxidil and a supplement. So again, very basic, didn't have prescription involved. We tested a couple of different brand entities to see how people responded. And we tested a couple of different prices. And then from there, we were able to see, you know, at what price do we have the highest conversion? Can we capture audiences at a cost that is going to be less than what they're willing to pay over time? It's just like that very, it's not sexy, but it gave us the credence, I think, to then go after and do it right. How quickly did you know there was a fit when you were running these ads? Pretty quickly. Yeah. Say in the first like 30 to 60 days, we we were very sure. 
And take us back to that moment when you officially launched the company for the first time. So now you're live. And what was that moment like? Oh my gosh. So we'd been working on this on this thing. And again, A, we were in stealth mode and B, no one is in a hurry to talk to you about erectile dysfunction or hair loss. They're just not. And it's particularly not four years ago before wellness became even more of a, a hot button issue. And so we've been working, you know, just a handful of us and it was all, you know, consuming every day, all hours of the day. We'd had this brand hymns that even my fiance at the time was like, this isn't a very good name. I'm just telling you, like, you may want to rethink about this. I don't like it. And we'd get feedback like that. We had all of our colors were like this light pink. We had these cacti. And so you'd go through these like highs and lows of like, this is great. This is really going to work. And then, oh my God, are people going to laugh us out of here? Like, it's just the highs and the lows. And we went live on November 1st, 2017, didn't sleep all night. We're working on, had engineers working on code until, you know, 4 a.m., went live, maybe 5 a.m. And then we were just staring, watching the like first sales come in and counting everyone on the dashboards. And that night we went out to celebrate and we asked our co-founder, what's our number? What should be our goal? and set a number. I don't even remember what it is. And we ended up hitting that like a week later. And then that's when we were like, oh, we have a ball game here. Is there a mistake that you made in that first year of launching the business that you really learned from? How much time do you have? There's (laughs) so, so very many. Biggest Uh, mistake. (laughs) Same day. Okay. So later that day, we had this like magical launch. Everything went according to plan. We were all so happy great starting to get some really good PR. Our chief fulfillment outlet called us and said, no, thanks. We don't actually want to do this anymore. So we had people coming in and no way to ship out products. So promptly then had to go fly across the country and negotiate with them in real time. But it's, you know, when you are starting something and you don't have a lot of resources, you know what the principles are, right? Like, you know, you should never rely on one, any one person, any one vendor for anything, but that's all very well and <laughs> well and good in theory. In practice, you don't have enough money. In practice, you don't have enough time to go build relationships across the country. And so that was, you know, talk about highs and lows. We were just on this like exhilarated moment at 6 a.m. And then call it five, six hours later, just like the lowest pit you can imagine and having to book plane tickets and, and figure it out. So, you know, if you could go back in time, I would have definitely had multiple of everything cutting ourselves some slack. I don't know how reasonable it would have been. (laughs) You do the best you can do with the resources you have at that time. And and now at least you can share that knowledge with everyone else for when they're starting their businesses now. (laughs) Exactly. And I was like, redundancy, redundancy. It's not sexy, but damn, is it useful. All right. You have to give us one more big learning lesson from the early days. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I think for me personally, one of my biggest learnings has always been, as I look back, has been just not to rush into any decisions. Anytime you're getting pressured, which again is easier said than done in startup environments, but anytime you're getting pressured by a vendor to make a decision, anytime you're getting pressured by a team to make one of your teams that you to give a direction on, that's usually when I've made my worst calls because you're not taking a moment to breathe and nothing is really that urgent, but it's hard to see it in the moment that something can't, because you technically can do it, right? Like if one of, if we were, three of us were emailing and we needed a question asked, like one of us could respond and give you an answer, right? It's whether it's not, it's the right answer. And so I think learning 
that the more urgent something feels probably means I need to give it even more time. That is such, such great advice. And I feel like these things just come up all of the time in business. What do you do in those moments when, if you are being pressured to make a decision quickly by another person via email or on the phone, like what do you do in those moments to help them realize we have to take a step back and think through things? And then what is the process you use to then make those decisions? Yeah. I mean, it's a fantastic question. I think that first of all, usually the people, you know, if it's an internal person, they're generally trying to help you out. They're trying to follow the strategy that they think you are setting for them. And so I think it's really important, particularly for internal partners, but certainly for external partners too, to be able to say, you know, you understand, making sure you do understand first, <laughs> but taking the time to understand, so you understand the what's at stake, because usually if it's a timing issue and your supply chain is saying like, Hey, we do need this answer today. Otherwise you're going to be delayed by the launch by three weeks. And you told us this launch is important to you. So like, do you, I don't want to be responsible for that later, just an example. And so I think helping them understand that you do realize what's at stake. You do realize we were all running towards this date and here's what's more important than that date. And I think I really believe in transparency with our teams and helping them understand everything that I'm thinking about at, at any given time, because there's things that I'm going to miss. And the more context they have, the more that we can work towards the best possible outcome. And, and so once I can kind of get everyone comfortable that I'm not purposely throwing a wrench in their day and there's a reason to pause, I generally need to go either on a walk and think about it a little bit more, work out, think about it more, or talk to somebody else kind of totally unrelated, whether that's one of my mentors or you know, a friend in a similar space, like if it's a supply chain issue, call it a handful of colleagues in that area where I would call and say, you know, how would you handle this? How would you think about this? What are the gotchas? Um, and just take a beat. But I find it's usually when you can relieve that pressure moment that you come to a better, a better solution that you didn't see before. Cause it's so, like when you're in a rush, it's binary, right? It's like a B, but there's a C you just don't have been able to like have a breath and see the C coming up. You'll hear how Hims and Hers pivoted to offering more mental health services in 2020. How has the company evolved over the years? Yeah. So, you know, when we first started building what is now Hims and Hers, our key insight was it should be easier to help people take care of themselves. And so today, when you look at Hims and Hers, we really are that front door to healthcare for people across the country, uh, whether that is in mental health or hair care or skin care or sexual wellness. We really are that first stepping stone for people to get access to a licensed provider, to get the education, the reputable education that they need, and to get the products that really work. How did hers come to be? Was that always in the business model or plan? Hers was always in the business model. We bought the four hers and four hims URLs at the exact same time. What did um, those cost? <laughs> <laughs> they were much cheaper than hims.com and hers.com, I will tell you. And that was another good learning is you don't always have to pay for the the top URL and another situation where if we had rushed, we probably would have paid for it. And for what, but hers is so special because the problem, the problems that men and women both face in the healthcare system are pretty different with men. The, the problem at hand was more about how do you invite men to the door to take care of themselves? Because in general, they've been told not to bother that taking care of themselves 
isn't a masculine thing to do, that they should suck it up, that, you know, that's not what real men do. And as a result, men are the least likely demographic to go see the doctor. Um, and so for us, it was about kind of normalizing and using statistics and, and, and medical data to show that it's very, very common to suffer from hair thinning, to suffer from erectile dysfunction, to suffer from anxiety and depression. And for women, it's, I always say women are the chief medical officers of their bodies. Basically from the moment you start having your period, you are like kind of on your own to figure stuff out and you, you have to engage with the healthcare system. It's not a choice. You have to, but it's not easy. And women are less likely to believe that about their pain levels. They're less likely to be believed about their symptoms, more likely to be given biased treatment. And so with women, it was about earning their trust that we're here for you. We advocate for you. And what you see is what you get with us. And I think that telemedicine is such an incredible thing for groups like women, like LGBTQIA, like BIPOC community members who are often marginalized and excluded from healthcare systems today. Because tele with telemedicine, you are deciding, you decide what you're interested in. You decide when you would like to speak to a doctor and how you would like to speak to a doctor, telephone, video, chat. You decide where you're comfortable speaking to a doctor. All of these things that sound simple, you decide how much you're going to pay. These things sound simple, but when you're call it like a working mom in a rural area, who's going to take care of your kid? Who's going to take care of your job and find you support? Who's going to, if you don't have a car, how are you going to drive the hour and a half to go see a primary care doctor who then might not even give you what you need? It's just, it's, um, it's kind of insidious, all the different barriers. And so with hers, it was really about eliminating what we could and putting women in the driver's seats because we are, we, we are the ones that have to advocate for ourselves every single day. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. And, you know, as someone who has gone through so many different health challenges and had to advocate for myself in the medical system, I just know how important it is. So the fact that you've created this platform to give us those opportunities to be able to take charge and not rely on just the doctor down the street is, is so important. So thank you for, for creating this company for all of us. Oh, of course. And I'm sorry you've had, you know, you and so many women have had such terrible experiences because the stakes are so high for us and it shouldn't be this hard to get care that works. Absolutely. I want to hear a little bit more about this past year. So the pandemic obviously has been, you know, devastating for so many families and, you know, women and people in business, but your business, you are in really the right business to be in during this time. What, what has happened with your company over the past year? Yeah, I think it's been so interesting how the pandemic has really fast forwarded our collective comfort levels with, with online services like telemedicine. So if you look at statistics prior to the pandemic, about 11% of the country was interested in or engaging with telemedicine. That number today is almost 80%. It's an insane shift, seismic shift to happen in a year. And I kind of liken it to rideshare in past where, you know, call it 10 years ago, we were laughing about how, you know, I'm not getting in a stranger's car. No way. And now it's a part of, you know, part of their DNA of our, of an, and our environment. And so for the definitely fast tracked kind of collective support, I think. And, you know, our goal was, is we were all home last March um, as a team thinking about how do we support, we have these building blocks, we have access to these doctors, we have access to pharmacies, we have access to delivery systems that work. 
how do we help everyone who's now home and trying to take care of themselves or trying to take care of their families and who they're and and they're scared? And so our response was a couple of things. The first thing we did was we launched a primary care system. And that was important because we were all, no one wanted to leave their house, but that doesn't mean you're not going to get bug bites. That doesn't mean you're not going to get a UTI. That doesn't mean the rest of your world stops. And so for us, again, we had this incredible infrastructure of incredibly trained and licensed providers, systems where you could get your prescriptions and send a prescription to either your door or to your local pharmacy. And so we were able to leverage that in an insanely short order to get that live and help people first. That next level was um, that that anxiety and fear and loneliness and, and depression we were seeing from our um, both from our customers and, and people who our customers care about. And so that led us to offer our first mental health service on the platform, which is called our group court sessions. And so we still, we do that, we do that to this day. We have call it 10 to 12 free hour long sessions with a licensed therapist every single week on a variety of topics from, um, you know, parenting and the pandemic to, stopping the Instagram doom scroll for social anxiety to mindfulness to help you sleep better to to finding your motivation at work, you know, all sorts of things that are affecting us today that are free and also connect you with a licensed provider and other people going through it. So it's that community piece too. And, um, and so we were extremely proud to be able to launch something like that, that didn't exist at all in market. And we're really, really proud of the response that we've seen. We followed that up a couple of months later with uh, psychiatric support. So for so many people today, if you've, you know, finding a psychiatric provider is extremely hard. It's extremely hard to find one in network if you have it covered. A lot of people who are dealing with um, insecure job uh, status throughout the last year and this year didn't have, but had they needed help. Like fully, we were in a we are in a mental health crisis, and so our ability to offer connections to psychiatric providers, to psychiatric nurse practitioners, and medica- generic medications that work for a fraction, a third of the price that it would cost in traditional systems, without having to wait, I think was just an incredible offering that I was so proud of our team for for being able to release so quickly. Um, and then finally, we were able to be one of the first to market with an at-home COVID test as well, which was important for again, everyone who's just up late Googling their symptoms and hoping to get some semblance of control, security, and comfort. How big is your team now? We're about 200 people. And is everyone working remotely or? Everyone's working remotely. We actually made the call about two weeks in uh, to working from home last March to give up our headquarters. We had just gotten this this new headquarters, we started to feel like an adult company and like all, all companies in the world got dealt this curveball and our team was incredible. They really, you know, embraced working from home, the clip, the pace, the innovation, I want to say that came out of people working from home and feeling like that control was amazing. It felt like for the pre-launch days again. And so we wanted to give people put that control back in our employees' hands so that they didn't have one less thing to be worried about that was unsure. So we're like, you know what? We are going to work from home. And and since then, you know, we've been able to recruit far more inclusively across the country because Bay Area is notoriously difficult to do that in. And, and we've had just incredible feedback from our employees about having that, being able to live wherever they want and do what works for them. Do you like working from home? I love working from home, to be honest. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) Do you have any tips on how to keep the culture alive, keep collaboration strong, build relationships? 
as you're going. Definitely. We've had to learn to over-communicate a couple of times. There would be moments where we're like, oh, did you not approve that? Did I, who, what, how are we down the road so far on something? And so we've had to take a few moments and rethink, I think, how our communications are because it's easy for people to get excited and, and run away with it. I would say our HR team has done an insanely great job at creating really varied programming throughout the week. So we have weekly mindfulness and meditation sessions. We have something called recess once a week, which is usually focused on kind of cultural moments of importance. Uh, So like this month's all recess is focused on Black History Month and celebrating that, for example. We have something called a donut where you can, you get like a 15 minute coffee break with somebody and it's randomly paired throughout the whole company. Because at this point we have employees starting who have never met anybody before. So that's been really, really important. And yeah, and I think just encouraging people to do what work you're going to have to change. I'm sure you guys have felt like this as well, and I'd love to hear about it. But, you know, what worked last month might not work for you this month anymore. Sometimes you'll get into phases and you're like, you know, my calendar is working really well. My schedule is working well. And then suddenly that next month, it doesn't work anymore and you have to change some things. And so we try to be very, very flexible there. Totally. And we have a a special package coming in the mail for you that didn't arrive before the recording, but we had, we had created these, we had created these cards for our team called digit cards that we made and encouraged our team to start using these on on our Zoom meeting. So yeah, we made these for our team and they were working so well that now we actually are selling them as an actual product because teams want to use them to collaborate. So they're in the mail for you. They're coming. (laughs) Oh my God. That's so smart. I, cause we, we constantly see that where you're like, you like this idea? You're on yeah. mute. Well, you're going to totally. have these cards uh, delivered to you. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. Do you have any recommendations on tools you use to keep collaboration strong or keep you organized? We've been using a new one called monday.com, which the team has really, really liked. It's a new, new addition to the roster, but we're all enjoying that a lot. And I think beyond that, just the normal stuff that everyone else is using, the Zooms, the Google... Hangouts. Are you on Zoom meetings for eight hours a day on one endless Zoom, or do you make yourself take Zoom breaks? I definitely make myself take Zoom breaks. We are more of a on camera than off camera culture. And so I really find for me, my job requires me to be an extrovert, but I'm definitely an introvert. I'm like as close to the line, I think, as you can get. And so I need that. I just go for like real power walks around the block, like. I'm an old lady, but I live for them. And so I do that like three times a day. If I have 10 minutes, I just go on a walk and kind of break it up so I can come back and be present. Otherwise it's hard. I agree. It's so, so important. I've been trying to do the same, but I'm all, I've only been making it out once a day, but I think I need to up my game. <laughs> Once a day. Well, I had to release my idea of like what perfection is. I was like, well, I need to have like 30 minutes and really, and like make it a workout. And now I'm just like, you know, go get some fresh air. If it's seven minutes, that's fab. I have to ask because I am a big fan of Jennifer Lopez. What was it like to work with her and how did that collaboration come to be? Oh my gosh, she's incredible. You know, she's an investor actually, which is very unusual, I think. And she just really believed in, we were introduced to her through another investor and, um, you know, she was just really passionate about that underlying mission of of democratization. And I think as somebody who has really created her own story and her own success, the idea that everyone should have access to that, you know, one thing that I think we can all say about JLo is her work ethic, you know, through, that's the reason why I think she's had such an incredible career. And when you meet with her, 
it certainly bears out. She's incredibly detail-oriented. She absolutely knows what she's talking about, super well-researched, wants to get into the weeds with you, and just brings that creativity that I think is her her special her special sauce. And I think that one thing that was funny is, you know, as someone who's also obviously a huge fan of hers, you grow up watching her and she's one of those people that you feel like you know already. And so I feel like I had to keep reminding myself like, oh, she doesn't know me <laughs> that well, but you're like, oh, like I know what her voice sounds like. And you know that she, when she says through things, certain things that you've seen, seen her on interviews doing or whatever, you're, that's who she is. You know, what you see is what you get. And so I think I, I had to keep reminding myself like, no, no, you watched her on Wedding Planner. You have not known her for 25 <laughs> years. Good try though. Well, now I feel like with social, with social yeah. media now with celebrities, you know, they're sharing their day to day and behind the scenes of their life. So I feel like even more so now than the way it used to be, we really feel like we know all of these people. Totally, totally. And so, yeah, she's just incredibly warm, wants to get in on the same, like in two seconds, you're talking about skincare secrets and all that good stuff with each other. And so it's been incredible to partner with her on our, our hair care product, especially, which is another one in pandemic where, you know, especially women's hair loss is something that we don't talk about. Women's hair thinning is something we don't talk about, but it's so tied to our core identity for so many people. And it's so affected by stress and it's so affected by hormones and all these things that we don't often get enough support for. And so having be out there and helping women to get things, the products that are high quality that work, I think was so meaningful. Any tips you can share um, for our listeners who are thinking about fundraising for their business, tips in the process or what your experience was like? I think storytelling is such an important piece of it. I think you obviously have to believe in yourself and in your product, but really at the end of the day, investors are choosing you because they believe in you, because they believe in the decisions you're going to make when you're not in the same room as them. And so I think to be able to paint that story, to ensure that you're aligned philosophically, which does two things. It shows that you're aligned philosophically from the get-go and that you have someone who's going to be in your court who believes in that story in that same way as you, I think has been such a key to our to our mission and our long-standing relationship with all of our investors has been um, we had people who really felt like they were on our, our team, people who didn't want to put us into a box of like this for that, but really believed in what we were saying. And, you know, we couldn't be more proud to still be working with so many of them. Well, you have accomplished so much in such a short period of time. It seems like, what do you think is your secret to your success? I think for me, I am just, I get up more times than I got knocked down. I think for, I think there's a lot of like glamour and we love to promote the overnight success stories in culture and celebrity culture and and business culture. And it really is just about outlasting everyone else. And I think when I think back when I was younger uh, or just starting out my career, my mantra was be so good. They can't ignore you, which I think is a Steve Martin quote. And I think as I've grown up, I realize it's much more complicated than that. You have to have the opportunities and exposure and, and all of that stuff. But I think that idea that, okay, every day is a new day. Every day I'm going to be as excellent as I can be. Um, and thinking through it long-term and not getting discouraged has really been my key. Up next, the importance of not comparing yourself to others, both in real life and social media. All right, Hillary, this is a fun new segment we've been doing where we do quick rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Oh God, okay. First answer that comes to your mind. 
Describe yourself in three words. Optimistic, resourceful, indecisive. If you could learn one new skill, what would it be? Speak French. What is your most used emoji when you text? Heart. Me too. (laughs) What is the app on your phone that you cannot live without? Peloton. Do you have a hidden talent that we don't know about? I can speak Italian poorly. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Last question. What would it be? Fly. Oh, fly. Why? Where would you fly to right now? Adding a little bonus question. (laughs) Oh, I would fly to Canada, scoop up my fam, and then probably fly to a tropical island somewhere. (laughs) Tropical island definitely definitely sounds nice for sure. Yeah, beach time sounds good. (laughs) So what does a typical day outside of work and being on Zoom calls all day look like for you? Oh my gosh, guys, I've started doing a weird thing over quarantine. Maybe it's not that weird. It would have been unheard of for me to consider prior. I've started playing golf. My fiance, big, big golf guy. And, uh, you know, in this time where we're home and there's not a lot to do, he first kind of lured me up there by promising a good walk. And then all of a sudden I had clubs that I ordered on Amazon, like just cheap little clubs. And and now I, you know, will go out like once a weekend and golf and hit a ball and, you know, 10% of the time it goes okay. And that has been my new like half day activity, I guess, during the pandemic. And then usually we'll go get coffee. We'll go, I'm a big coffee gal. So I love trying new coffee shops around the city. And then we'll FaceTime with my family who's all over the world and Canada and, and the UK and uh, and then make a nice dinner, maybe squeeze in some Pilates, call it a day. Did you set any New Year's resolutions or intentions for 2021? No, I love myself. I do not need any more pressure than, <laughs> I feel like 2020 was the first year I made like really solid resolutions and we all know how that went. So no. <laughs> Courtney and I like to set word intentions of the year. Like oh, I love that. Theme. So that's what's the theme this year. Mine is balance and mine is reimagine just trying to see things in a new perspective. I love that. Okay. Maybe I'll start, I'll try that in, in 2022. Try a theme. I always say, I don't believe in resolutions. You have to set goals with anything that you do in life. But if you set a theme for your year, you can be sure that everything you're doing ties back to how you want your year to to be. Totally. And I think it makes it easy to kind of see the pattern or at least like a narrative across everything, which our, our brains as humans like doing. Totally. Do you have a favorite mantra or quote that defines your work ethic values and why? The one I come back to the most is comparison is the thief of happiness. I think in times in my life where I either haven't believed in myself enough, or I've tried to overcompensate and be like somebody I think is more successful than me or better than me are times that I've gotten off my own course and unbalanced to use your word. And I think, especially in the world of social media, especially where you're getting all of these inputs about how so many people are living, it's really easy to just live your life relative to other people. And that's usually when I notice that my happiness is taking a dive or my satisfaction is taking a dive as a result because it has to be something that comes internally, but it's sneaky comparison. So true. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew before you started your business? I think that when you start, when I started, I was hyper aware of my weaknesses and I was always trying to focus on compensating for the weaknesses. And I think as more of a fully formed adult now, 
I believe strongly that you should lean into your strength. And that's really where you're going to find the things that set you apart, the things that bring you the most joy, the things that frankly make you the most successful. And it's almost an uncomfortable thing to be like, well, it feels like a trap, I think, for some people to lean into your strengths because you're like, well, they're already my strengths. Like, and society has told me to be aware of my weaknesses more, but the strengths, like that's, that's your good stuff. Totally. Do you know about strengths finders? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Have you done it? So good. I, so I did a battery of those tests in um, business school, but so I don't remember exactly, but yes. What are your strengths? I'm a great synthesizer. I can take a lot of pieces of information, a really good memory and take a lot of different pieces of information and put it all together. Um, I'm very diplomatic. I'm great with negotiations and groups of, you know, melding groups of people together. Um, I don't remember like what the fullest was. Are you a Libra by any chance? I am. Because you said you were diplomatic. So I figured I'm a Libra too. I think I'm diplomatic sometimes. Definitely. There's like a social awareness. Also, that's so funny. Indecisive piece. You called yes, it. Yes. Yes. Takes one to know one. When's your birthday? October 15th. When's yours? October 12th. Oh, same week so, even. Love that for us. My business so partner, funny. Courtney, and my husband are both Libras. So <laughs> it is funny how, what's your sign? I'm a Leo. Leo. Love that. I'm going to start asking people what their strength is and then guess their zodiac. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If I could get it right. I think that's a new segment. Yeah, that's going to that's going to be an another segment. Never done that before. (laughs) Brought brought to you by Hims and Hers. (laughs) Take you to the the state fair when this is all done. (laughs) Or to Vegas, I guess. Oh my goodness. I know, Hillary, you had mentioned earlier in our conversation, but we didn't go into detail about some of your mentors. How have you found your mentors over the years? You know, I've been pretty fortunate in that I think my mentors have found me first. I think it's usually been, I'm a pretty independent person and it's been the people who have called me, you know, the female partner who called me into her office and took an interest in me and my goals and made me think a little bit further out than six months, which as a 21 year old uh, was unheard of in my brain. Um, It was, you know, an early investor in hims and hers that recognized the value of my work and taught me to appreciate the value of my work and checks in and um, teaches me to ask, which I think is a really important thing. And I think for certain groups of people, it's really difficult, especially women, not for all women, but for some women, it is difficult to ask for what you see other people getting. And I think oftentimes there's this stereotype of like, you put your head down and you'll get rewarded for it when the time is right and waiting your turn. And um, there tends to be a lot of emotion tied to that when it doesn't work out that way. And I think having, especially one of my mentors who is a, is a, is a guy, uh, who has said like, you know, have you asked for it yet? Or are you just upset inside? <laughs> because I think there's a, uh, a feeling sometimes that you good work will always be rewarded. And sometimes you're just like not on people's radar and it can be very damaging to yourself to, t- to try to assign a reason or meaning to it. And it has no reason or meaning often otherwise, other than it hasn't been thought of, which yes, in a perfect world, ever all evaluated equally all the time, evenly on regular cadences. But especially when you're in a startup type environment that can be ambiguous, that can be built as you go. I think it was really, it has saved me definitely over my career to just, you know, take the emotion out of it. 
So finally, our last question, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Being an entrepreneurista means reclaiming words that have previously been used to keep people out of more kind of established, stereotypically male, usually white male industries like business, like finance. Like there's all of these words that words, acronyms, what have you, that I think are used to keep people out because they don't understand it or they're not comfortable with it and saying it. Even entrepreneur, like what a tough word. I remember practicing saying it when I was in high school for something like these things are done on purpose. So reclaiming words and attaching new meanings to words that empower you and empower you on your journey and let people in who otherwise are intimidated, rightfully so, by structures and by power structures that we don't want to be challenged. Um, I think reclaiming that language is so important. Well, we have been honored to get to know you and share your story and journey with our incredible entrepreneurista audience. So thank you for taking the time to sit down and share your knowledge and your entire journey with us. Thank you both. It was so much fun to spend a Friday with you guys and feel honored to be included. Oh, good. Where can everyone find you, follow you, and of course, buy Hims and Hers products and learn more about your company? So we are at forhims.com, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com and forhers.com, F-O-R-H-E-R-S.com. Um, and I'm on you know, the Twitters and the Instagrams and the TikToks just on Hillary Coles. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneurs. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.